and welcome to another episode of the Bottom Up Revolution podcast. I'm your host, Rachel. What would you do in your community if you knew that you couldn't fail? That was the question guiding Rabbi Donna Berman as she looked at a crumbling historic synagogue building in Hartford, Connecticut. It was home to a small nonprofit on the verge of closing, but Rabbi Donna saw a future there, and she knew that things could only improve from their current state. Hired on as executive director of the Charter Oak Cultural Center, she and a single volunteer board member started a small newsletter and some simple events to get people through the doors of the building. Through a process of developing trust with neighbors, slowly raising the money to incrementally fix up the space, and finding out what the neighborhood needed most, the Cultural Center has grown into a space that serves hundreds of youth with arts programs, offers resources and education for homeless residents, and operates as a space for the whole community. In this conversation, you'll hear about the step-by-step approach that Rabbi Donna and her colleagues had to renovating the building and creating community programs, and how those things worked in tandem. You'll also hear about how they've adapted to neighborhood needs over time, especially during COVID. Rabbi Donna also touches a bit on the Jewish concept of tikkun olam, repairing the world, and how that guides her work. Hope you enjoy this conversation with Rabbi Donna Berman. Rabbi Donna Berman, thank you for joining me for this episode of the Bottom Up Revolution podcast. It's great to have you on the show. It's great to be here, Rachel. Thank you. Can you start by telling us a little bit about yourself and how you came to be leading the Charter Oak Cultural Center? I became a rabbi in 1982. Uh, this is the 40th anniversary of my being a rabbi. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I, I was in rabbinic school so long ago, Moses was in my class. <laughs> I've always been interested in uh, social justice and tikkun olam, repairing the world. And I, I, I really wanted to do uh, Jewish feminist uh, theology. So I went on, I, I, after I, I was ordained, I went on to have my own congregation for 12 years. And uh, then I went back to school uh, to kind of get the tools to to do the work of of a feminist Jewish feminist theologian. And then when I I finished with my doctorate and I was looking for a job, didn't really know how I was going to fit my work as a Jewish feminist theologian in with work in the world. And then it was really like the hand of God that I even ended up at at Charter Oak. They were really basically closed and uh, didn't really know. They, they were kind of at a loss for their identity and they were going to, literally they were going to close down. And then I just, but by happenstance, happened to, to uh, make contact with them. And one thing led to another and they named me their interim uh, director. Uh, and that was 20 years ago. <laughs> wow. So I became their, 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 they were afraid they were going to do a national search. They actually weren't even ready to, um, to hire a director, but when they, when, again, by happenstance, I like to tell you the story, but it's kind of a full length movie. They met me, they decided, okay, we're going to do this, but we can't just, I was new. I was from New York. Nobody knew me. And they were afraid to kind of say I was the director. So they said, well, we'll make you the interim director till Thanksgiving. And then we'll, when people know you, then we'll announce that you're the director. And so 20 years later, here I I am. (laughs) So what were things like at the um, at Charter Oak when you first, you know, encountered the building and the, the group um, 20 years ago? And then, like, what has been the journey to where you are now? Well, 20 years ago, um, I went out, I, called, I had called the, the managing director, 
Uh, and again, they were looking for a, an office manager. So it really made no sense for me to even call him. So I, that's why I say it's the hand of God. But I, I went out to lunch with him and I went to the building. In those days, it, it still floods a little bit, but it really, it used to flood all the time. And so it was moldy and dank and they had pulled up the carpet and there was nothing going on, literally nothing. So they had been considering what they called um, the building as program. They were just going to use it as a rental property. They had considered closing it down entirely, or they said, okay, the, the board had said, okay, we're going to just um, use this as a rental property. But it was, you'd have to wear a, like a clothespin on your nose <laughs> to rent it to anybody. So, um, so it was really, it was, but they weren't doing anything. And, um, and so we went out to lunch, the managing director and I, and he brought a, a board member with him. And, and uh, then he called me and he said, you know, what would it take to get you here? And I said, as an as the office manager, and he said, "No, no, as the executive director." And I was like, "There's just no way they have nothing." I know, but they somehow. I mean, I went through a zillion interviews. I mean, it was like it was a long process, but because uh, they didn't want to get they didn't want to get burnt, but somehow they made it work. And um, and so twenty years ago, I mean, l- literally, it was I was the only I was the only staff member. I had a volunteer board member at the time who was working there. And um, we just, we made a newsletter. It's an interesting kind of alchemy, how you, you can make something from nothing. If you make it look like something's going on, all of a sudden something's going on. So we made this newsletter and I asked anybody who could like, you know, any of my friends that could play the kazoo or could anything they could do or juggle or whatever. And I made a little, like a little events thing and said, Charter Oaks open again. I mean, really nothing was going on, but the energy shifted. And we had a gallery, uh, we still do, beautiful gallery, and I just started inviting visual artists, and, and we did a show every month so that we'd have foot traffic, and then this, you know, it's kind of this spiritual journey. It's like the building was like, okay, we're ready to go, and all of a sudden we were attracting other people, and people wanted to rent it, and we put a carpet down, and we, you know, and so, you know, 20 years later, um, we have a youth arts institute that serves a, th- a little over a thousand underserved Hartford kids and provides them with a very sophisticated arts education. It's completely free. The education is free. The, the, so the tuition, the materials, the, the, the instruments, the art material, everything is free. And we have three programs uh, for people in the homeless community that uh, offer educational and employment opportunities. And we do all of these wonderful performances and exhibits. And when we, we we try to do everything for free, but when we have to charge, we never turn anybody away who can't afford a ticket. That's beautiful. So it sounds like you saw this historic building. Was it the oldest synagogue in Connecticut? Yeah, the language we use is it's the first synagogue built in Connecticut because there's another congregation mm-hmm. in New Haven that feels it's older. So, but but this uh, is okay. <laughs> so we parse that very carefully. <laughs> yeah, so a very old and like beautiful uh, historic building and religious space, and then like you saw the potential in it, even though it was flooding and moldy and neglected. Uh, yeah, probably at that time I probably felt pretty moldy and uh, <laughs> old and neglected. I could I could relate to it. <laughs> we did, so we went on this journey together. That sounds very noble, and um, I would like to say that that's true. But I also feel like that the real truth is, it was I, I knew I couldn't fail 
you know, if you walk into an organization and it's, and it's humming along, you know, there's like a lot of pressure to keep it going. And, you know, but, but it was in a way it was like, let's see what we can do here. Let's see what we can do here. You know? So, um, so I, I like to think that I saw the potential. I, I like to think that I think of the building and the institution as kind of having its own life too. And, you know, maybe it saw the potential in me too. We kind of fed each other. Yeah. Was there a conversation about turning it back into a, like a full-time synagogue or has, has it been a community center space for a long time? Yeah, it was a, a community center space for a, a long time, it had gone through a bunch of machinations and it had really struck, it, it was born out of struggle uh, because a state um, constitutional amendment was required for Jews to be able to build a house of worship. It was built in 1876. And in 1848, they passed, and because of the the instigation of the Jewish community, they, they passed um, uh, a piece of legislation that allowed people other than um, Congregationalists to build houses of worship in Connecticut. So it was born out of struggle, and then several times through its life, it had kind of petered out. And, you know, of course, in 2001, you know, I'll tell you something about 2001, but in 2001, it had petered out again. And so um, I feel very grateful that we've had this so far 20-year run, and I uh, am very committed to making sure that the, the, the institution has the financial security and the vision and all, all the things it needs to continue in, in, in perpetuity. But the, my la- I had it. They were so afraid of the board was so afraid of, and I get it. You know, they had they had there had been ups and downs, and they wanted to make sure they had the right person. I had all these interviews. My last interview was on a Friday. And um, it was my literally my seventh interview. And um, I came home. And it was about five o'clock, and the phone rang, and it was the president of the board. And he said, "We'd like to offer you this job." And I really needed a job um, at that time. My partner had um, lost her job, and we had just bought a house, and so I really, I really needed a job. So I and I had I had taken the summer off after I got my doctorate. So when she lost, she knew she was going to be you know losing her job. Then that's when I was kind of really looking. You know, a little harder for 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 position, and um, and I was just about to say, of course I'll take it, but I heard my father's voice in my head, who always said, if someone offers you a job, never take it. Always say, let me think about it, and I'll let you know. And the words, I'll let you know Tuesday, flew out of my mouth. N- not Monday, for whatever reason, I said, I'll let you know Tuesday, and I, even I was surprised by that. And the president said, okay, well that that Tuesday was nine um, eleven. Oh my gosh. Isn't that wild? Yeah. So I left a message on their answering machine because nobody was there. And um, I said, I don't want this to go down in history as the day I accepted this job. So I'll call you back tomorrow. <laughs> mm, yeah. And then you've been there ever since. Can you tell us a little bit about the neighborhood that um, the Charter Oak Cultural Center is in? And for those that aren't familiar with Hartford. Yeah, we're in the south end of Hartford. Um, there are different ways of measuring where Hartford is vis-a-vis other cities throughout the country. But And, and I don't know if this is still true, but when I started 20 years ago, uh, Hartford was supposedly the second poorest city next to Brownsville, Texas, in the country. It's had something like a 47% unemployment rate. I mean, it was really, it was really, uh, um, and I don't, I, I've never checked that statistic, so don't quote me on that. But, but it was, but people lived in, in tremendous hardship, uh, and it was a kind of a, a 
very spirited but overlooked part of the city. And there's been somewhat of a renaissance in the last 20 years. Uh, Yukon Hartford is in our neighborhood. They never were there before. And they built a, before that, they built a convention center at Marriott. So there's been a lot of activity. And, um, but I like to think, I mean, Charter Oak is a small organization. We have a million dollar budget. I mean, when we started, we had a $140,000 budget. So, you know, we certainly have grown, but, um, I, you know, going back to what I said about kind of the energy in the building, I like to think that, you know, we're not one of the big organizations, but that our energy contributed to Hartford's uh, renaissance a little bit. I, I like to think that, that we, the energy we brought and, the, you know, uh, I, 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 I like to think that we were a part of that. So, um, but there's, there's tremendous poverty and hunger. And there's a big uh, divide between the people who come to Hartford to work and the people who live there. And that's shifting a little bit now. But, you know, we want to guard against gentrification um, and make sure that, you know, the people who really are the the blood and the soul and the guts of of Hartford, um, that they're lifted up, that they're not left behind. And the city gets better statistics because... God only knows where they get pushed out to. So, 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 th- so that's the population that we're that we're that we're focused on. And how did some of these different programs, like the youth arts program and um, services and classes and things for homeless people, how did these different um, activities develop uh, based on like the needs of the the people around you? Why those particular programs? Well, um, when I started. Uh, you know, was aware that there just weren't a lot of really good after-school, sophisticated arts programs. It's, you know, sports and maybe crafts and stuff like that. But so I decided that um, we would start. You know, when you start from nothing, again, going back to you know, you're always a hero because if you create anything, you've created more than you had. So it's like, okay, let's do let's create something called Charter Oak in 3D, and it'll be dance, drumming drawing. Yeah. So it's those three. And I, and I was so, um, uh, kind of, you know, naively, I was so rigid in a way. So somebody called up and said, no, I can do, I can, I can do a class in photography. No, it doesn't start with a D. (laughs) So we had these classes and we had four people, we had four kids and it was a lesson for me, um, in, uh, okay, don't get discouraged. Let's, Let's make this into a learning uh, opportunity. So we had put out a sandwich sign that said, you know, Charter Oak in 3D. And then we get these, you know, but we had no trust in the community. Nobody knew who we, who we were, you know, because we had been closed, they had been closed down for so long. So anyway, I, I went to a neighborhood meeting and this minister was talking about how he would had a little van and he'd take the kids to church on Saturdays and that he heard the kids talking and they wanted to learn how to dance like Jennifer Lopez. So I grabbed him after the the meeting and I said, uh, let's do that. Can, would you would you take the kids? Would you bring them to Charter Oak? Let me uh, uh, let me let me see how I can arrange this. And and he said yes. I, I had no teacher. <laughs> I had nothing because the kind of dance we were offering was a different kind of dance. I don't remember now maybe what it was, but so I knew I had met this woman and I called her up and I said, I know you're working for this other organization, but on Saturdays would you be available? to teach for us. And she said, yes. And I said, how much would it be? She said, a hundred dollars a session. And I said, okay, we had no money. I mean, literally we had no money. We only had the money, you know, and our building is so old that we had a $140,000 budget and that's enough to turn the lights on twice, 
you know, it's a very expensive building. So I said, I'm going to take out $600, which was at that time we were hanging on by our toenails and will you do it for six weeks? So she said, yes. So we announced it and he helped us. This minister helped us and he, and he brought the kids in the van and Rachel, I'm not making this up. This is, this is one of the key moments and it's 20 years ago of my life at Charter Oak, but these kids arrived and it was February and it was really cold and they were, you know, they look, they looked half asleep, you know, they, and he said to me, the minister said, you know, they, they, there's nothing much in the neighborhood to do this. You know, they're eating cereal they're in front of the TV and, and they, and they didn't know where they were going. And I'm sure they felt shy and they kind of walked in their body language was you know, kind of hunched over and they went on the dance floor and I was standing in our sanctuary is a performance space. And that's where this class was being held. And there were 18 kids, 18 kids came. And um, I was standing on the, the pews are on, uh, on an angle. We use the pews that from the sanctuary is from the temple, from the synagogue as their you know, seating. And I was watching them and I looked down and this teacher who is a very gifted teacher, her name is Olivia Davis. And she said to these children, she said, I mean, I, to this day, it could bring a tear to my eye. She said, I want you to turn to the person next to you and um, acknowledge the peace of God that's in them. So whether you you bow or you curtsy or if they'll allow you to, you ask them, you could kiss their hand or you can hug them, you have to ask them, however you want to do it. And the kids did it with great intensity and, and intention. And then we, we have a very good sound system in our sanctuary. And we put on this song, you know the song, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And you can still hear it in my head. And she put the music on. She said, move your body however you want. You want to twirl. You want to jump. You want to do a split. You want whatever you want. And they just started moving. And that was the beginning. And uh, we had um, bought them, uh, you know, snacks. And it was clear to me that that they didn't have, they were, that food was a real issue for them. And so that was the last time we just gave them, we always gave them snacks, but we gave them sandwiches when we made enough of them so that they could take them home with them for their siblings. And maybe, you know, because Saturday was a hard thing because they were getting their meals from school during the week. So from those 18 children, um, we now are at a thousand children and we, we offer all kinds of things, music lessons and dance and drawing and painting and uh, you know, a creative writing. And I mean, you name it. Um, we, we do it and we offer it and, and, you know, again, you know, it's all free, but that day was a pivotal day. That's a wonderful story. So what was the process like to, um, start to fix up the building over the last, um, I'm assuming it took several years to kind of get it to this, the point where you could have all the spaces be usable and, and, you know, not be flooding and whatnot. Like, what, how did that go? And, and how did you start to raise the funds for that? Well, when I, when I, when I went, when I started at Charter Oak, a lot of people said to me, you know, they were more concerned about the building. They were like, what are you going to do about the building? And I said to them, I want to make sure that what we're doing in the building is important. And then once we do that, then we'll address the building. But the building qua building, um, it, you know, it's an historic building. We'll certainly maintain it, but 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 I want to wait. I want to make sure that this that this synagogue becomes uh, a central part of of the landscape of Hartford, like it was as it once was. 
So we built this all up. So we just were hanging on. I mean, it really, ha- really, we've had, we haven't had a lot of money this whole time. Um, I mean, our, our, our budget has significantly increased, but, you know, in the beginning, we we're serving 18 kids. Now it's a thousand kids. Now we have all this programming for the homeless community. So our expenses, the, our budget went up, our expenses went up. And and heating this place, and you know, so we had, so we put in a new furnace, we put in a, a you know new roof, but we were just doing kind of maintenance stuff to keep the building. But it's frayed around the edges. And about um, uh, now, nine years ago, in 2013, um, we got a call from a guy who's an architect. His mom had been the um, president of the board, and he had some archival materials for us from his mom. And he and he said, "Can I come and bring them to you?" And again, the hand of God, we started talking to him about, you know, we have to refurbish this building. And at that point, we had important things going on inside of it. And you see, I maybe when when I first got there, nobody knew me. I was from New York. I I couldn't raise money like that. Uh, It it would have been probably more attractive to some people to give money. Some people really like buildings. But buildings are only as good as, and again, it's a beautiful building and it's an important building and I love the building, but it's people. It's how it serves people. And so then, you know, in 2013, now I've been there for 12 years. People know me. Hopefully they trust me and we're doing this important stuff. And I thought, okay, this is the time to move on that. So I always held it in my heart and my head, but and so we embarked, we were going to, we were going to build a building adjacent to our building because we didn't have enough room for the kids in our youth arts Institute. We, we have classes at our building and we have, we serve altogether a thousand kids because um, there are about 150 at our building and the rest of the kids are throughout the city because we go to schools and other locations and we conduct these classes. But, but even with our, you know, the kids in our, at our building, we didn't have enough room for everybody. So we're going to build a building. And we worked on the architectural plans and we started raising money uh, probably in 2014-15. And then we oh, there's a building next door to us. And throughout the 20 years, we've always tried to to buy it and we never were successful. And there are all kinds of funky things about the building and, and, what, and what was going on there. And, um, and finally, um, last year, we had all these plans for this. We called it the annex, this, this building we were building adjacent to our building. And um, by happenstance, again, the hand of God, we found out that the building next door was for sale. And it was for sale for the first time for a reasonable price. And we had already raised money for the annex. And so we bought the building. And then, but this is, this is, see, this, I'm telling you, if I weren't a rabbi, I, I, from this whole story of Charter Oak in the last 20 years, I would be, I would believe in God. It would make me believe in God if I didn't already. So the building, so the, is, is a, makes this project because we have to renovate that building and we have to renovate our building. Um, it's three, it's going to cost us $3 million less than building the annex. And it's going to give us more room. How many times in life do you get such a, <laughs> you save money and get more? So we're, we're like making these plans. We're, we're, we're ready. There are three levels of detail of plans. We're, we're almost on the, we're working on now on the third level of detail. Then we go out to bid and, you know, please God in May, we're going to start renovating these two buildings and we're going to be able to have, you know, 10 classrooms versus the three we have now. 
and um, be able to serve. We'll be able to double the number of kids we have at Charter Oak. That's great. What is the relationship like with the the neighborhood in terms of like you know do neighbors uh, come to events? Are the are a lot of the kids that are showing up to the youth program like from the surrounding neighborhood? What's that connection like? Most of the kids at who study the arts at Charter Oak are from the neighborhood, and then uh, throughout the city at our satellite sites, you know, people are from those neighborhoods, um, but. I mean, we're family, you know, we're, we're just, we're just family. We just, we have a, 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 a wonderful woman named Susan Mazur who runs our youth arts Institute. She was a former Dean at the Hartford conservatory and she just runs this place with so much heart and, and is in contact with all of the parents and all of the kids, knows everybody by name. And, um, and so we get we get our feedback from we do have surveys and we do more formal you know vehicles for 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 feedback but there's so much informal uh discussion all the time and so like during the during the pandemic you know when, when we became kind of full service so when parents if, if if a family had covid or we would deliver food when we went online to um you know we couldn't have our classes in person um, we would deliver a box of materials before each semester with all the stuff the kids would need with snacks. And, you know, if it was a ballet class, you know, their ballet shoes and, and, and everything got hand delivered by our staff to their homes. And then uh, we have summer camps for a week. You know, each, each camp is a week long. The beginning of the week, the family got a, a box of materials and then the next week, you know, the next box. We're really very close. So if, if there's a, if there's a, a family that has, uh, a problem or is facing a ch- an additional challenge uh, we're pretty much aware of aware of that we 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 get we get wind of it uh, if they don't come to us directly so very close that's wonderful what are some of the the things that you're most proud of in your last you know 20 years leading this organization what are some of the biggest accomplishments well you know uh, one thing is, um, we really believe in partnerships, um, you know, cause there are other organizations that do complementary things to what we do. So one of the, one of the organizations that we've worked with is the Litchfield jazz camp. I mean, it's world renowned. It's very, very, very expensive to go there. And, um, they got a grant, this is going back many years, but they got a grant, um, to bring Hartford kids to the camp and they were directed to us because they didn't, they're not in uh, Hartford. A lot of this is about building trust over time. And so they were directed to us and somebody said to them, you know, if you want Hartford kids, they're going to trust Charter Oak. And if Charter Oak says this is okay, you know, and so that's what happened. And so every year since then, but it was interesting because at that point we didn't, now we have a very extensive music program, but at that time we didn't. So, so the requirement normally for Litchfield jazz camp is that you have to be proficient, obviously, you know, in some kind of instrument. And, um, but our kids didn't, they don't, they don't have music. They, if it weren't for us, they would, most of them would not have music lessons. So we didn't have music lessons. And so they didn't. So the Hartford Foundation for Public Giving, which is just a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful foundation, uh, we went to them. We said, we have this. We, we want to be able to send kids, but they don't have music training. 
and they said, how about if we give you money? I mean, it's kind of an incredible story. How about if we give you money and you do a six-day, six-day, because we were getting ready, they had to go to camp, right? A six-day intensive, like from nine to five. And we teach these kids how to read music. And what, And so at the end of this this week, um, people from the Litchfield Jazz Camp came, and they, these kids put on a performance. And it was pretty good. And and because of the flexibility of the Litchfield Jazz Camp, they made an exception for these children. But And so they went. But the thing about it is we had an orientation uh, for the parents. And th- these this is a, reg- a residential program. And it cost, I think at that time, it was like $13.50 a week. Wow. And I know, right? And I, it's more now. And, and we talked to them. We said, this is an opportunity. And... You know, our families are very protective of their children and often have qualms about even going to a different part of Hartford, let alone to send them to Litchfield. Um, and it was on a college, I think it was a, it was maybe at the Kent School. So it was this big private school that's kind of like a college and, you know, dormitories and what. But because they trusted us and what we did was we rented buses and we said, you can go with your child to drop them off. And then, and then we'll, we'll get you a bus back, you know, a week later. And, um, and it's been life, life, life changing. So we've had years of kids going there. And I that's a wonderful partnership. Yeah, really amazing. So that's one, do you want me to tell you another one or? Yeah, sure. So we, you know, we had these, we have three programs for people in the homeless community. We started Connecticut's first street paper, which is a newspaper. Oh, cool. Yeah. A newspaper written by, by, by homeless people and, and allies of people in the homeless community. And, uh, and that was, that was in 2010. So this is our 12th year and we have a circulation of about 5,500 and it's a monthly paper. And, um, and then we, it's called beat of the street. So it's bots, B-O-T-S. And then we started, we had a young man um, named uh, Ethan Burke. And he said to me, he was our intern, and he went to the city, and he saw a man um, kind of scrunched over um, a a pot of of, uh, flowers in Manhattan. And he, and he said to me, that man was really in need. And what would, what would have been like if that pot had vegetables in it, not flowers? So we kind of looked it up on Google to see if anybody else was doing anything like this. And, and really, there was no kind of concerted systemic approach to this kind of program. And so we started what we called Bots Pots, which then became Eats of the Street. And we have these pots, of, and they're filled with organic vegetable plants. And, we, and anybody in need, when the vegetables are ripe, can pick them for free. And we hire and train people in the homeless community to take care of them. And artists paint the pot. So it's um, food, jobs, and art for Hartford, really. So that's, that's really cool. Collaboration. That's so cool. And, and this young man, 20 years old, thought of it, you know, it was great. And then we have uh, the Bot Center for Creative Learning. It's a school for people who have, who are experiencing or have experienced homelessness. And um, each class is eight classroom hours, and when they take 12 classes, so, so 96 classroom hours, they complete that. They graduate, and they're given a laptop, and um, they're, they're eligible for a full scholarship to Goodwin University. We had a young man, um, 
And he was graduate. Our graduation. I mean, I, I have to wear like a diver suit to our graduation. <laughs> crying so much. Um, I got like, flippers, you know. So this young man was. He was in his thirties, and he was going to be graduating. And um, you know, we don't. I, I teach a class on our classes meet on Wednesdays and, and Fridays. But I, I do a kind of a college prep class on Thursday. It's a literature class, and it's kind of like you know, how do you write a paper? How do you you know think critically about written material, you know, that kind of thing. And he was in that class, but I, I didn't really ask people too much about their stories. If they want to tell me, I'm very, you know, always want to hear, but so he, he was writing a, uh, an article for, for beat of the street about his life because he was graduating and he said, and he wanted me to check the grammar. And so that's how I, I learned his story. So he lived under a bridge and he knew that he was, he would, he was going to die early. And he didn't care. All he cared about was dumpster diving every day, and so that he could, you know, feed his drug, his his, his drug addiction, and um, and so he was, you know, looking for money, what you know, bottles, whatever. And um, he woke up one day. This is a common problem, I understand, for people who are living in places like under bridges with a foot infection. And he didn't pay any attention. He was just doing what he was doing because just all he said to me, all I cared about was, he said, he wrote this in the article, but he told me, all I cared about was get, was the drugs. And then when he woke up one day and he couldn't walk. And so they took him to the hospital. And when he went to the hospital, he decided, because he started to detox. And he said, I want to, I want to go all the way. I want to detox. So he did. I mean, clearly his, this man has a very strong spirit. And he, they, then they sent him to a methadone clinic, which happens to be across the street from Charter Oak. And when he was there, he saw a copy of Beat of the Street. And in it, it talked about the school. And he got really mad. And we have seen this a lot, even with the parents of our kids. They'll say, this is too good to be true. Mm, and, okay. I feel, yeah, and I feel like life is so hard. Like, that's what Charter Oak is about. It's like, you know what? Let's make things easy for people. <laughs> Let's just be, like, just kind and compassionate and create a different kind of world that's not about competition. There's no, like, you don't have to audition to come to our school. And you, there are no hoops. There are no, just come. And we love you, you know? So this guy goes over to, um, we have this wonderful woman named Minu Sharma, and she runs our Beat of the Street program. And he went over there and he was like, you know, this is, I can't believe, you know, you advertise for this and what, there must be strings attached, blah, blah, blah. You get a computer and you go to Goodwin and temperature. And she goes, no, it is true. It is true. So he started coming to class. He graduated and he got transitional housing. And we find that we don't do anything with housing, but we find that because people start really believing in themselves. I mean, I guess there are a variety of reasons, but maybe because people start believing in themselves because they know we believe in them. Virtually everybody gets housed, and and Hartford's doing a very good job of doing that. I mean, I don't I don't want to say it's us exclusively, but I think there's some kind of alchemy there, and again, shifting the energy. So he graduated, he's going to Goodwin, and he wants to be a therapist. Wow, that's quite a journey. I want to zoom out a little bit. Um, to talk about this Jewish concept of tikkun olam, repairing the world. And I know that that is central to your, your leadership and your research in um, theology. Um, we have a, you know, a, a very religiously diverse audience and plenty of people who are not religious who listen. But how would you describe that concept and how it guides your work to, to people listening? 
Well, tikkun olam means, uh, as you said, it means to repair the world. And um, there are lots of different kind of origin stories for that term. But the one that I that, that, that resonates with me most is this idea that, um, you know, whoever you imagine creating the world, if you believe in a creator, but divine spirit or God or goddess or whatever, creates this world with so much love and power uh, and passion that after the creation, it's almost becomes impossible to hold. And it's like this, this creative force implodes. And these shards, these little pieces of this divine spirit then become implanted in every living thing, people and plants and every living thing. And when you think of it that way, like if that, just that concept, like what kind of policies come out of that? Like, would you ever, ever, ever separate children from their parents? Would you ever treat the earth the way we treat the earth? Would we ever treat each other and demonize each other? Same if you, if we can hold that, there's a piece of God in everybody. It changes everything, you know? So, and it really could become a North star of, of how we, how we conduct the world. But the idea is to almost kind of like bring the puzzle pieces together because we all have a piece of God and that means we all need each other that way too. And to kind of bring God or this divine spirit back together by coming together in, in, in some kind of unity and some kind of just holding each other in so much care. So that's really, um, that's really what it's about. And, and I, you know, I saw a, a, a cartoon that really stayed with me um, all these years. Many, many years ago, I saw this. It was from a, an old Yiddish paper, and it was a, an angel pushing a wheel, an old-fashioned wheelchair. And in the wheelchair was the world with all kinds of bandages on it. So it's an interesting concept, I mean, it's, and and it and it's kind of kind of multivalent. It works on so many, uh, and communicates on so many different levels, but um, but that's that's what motivates us at, at Charter Oak. Um, Definitely see that in in all the work you do. To close us out here, um, I always ask my guests, what advice would you give for someone who's listening who might be interested in taking a step to do something similar to what you've been doing, you know, probably not on the scale that you've been able to achieve, but um, someone that's interested in serving the homeless in their neighborhood or serving children in their neighborhood um, or just um, being a, a positive force in their community. What, what's like a advice that you would give for someone listening? On the most superficial but very essential level, I think it's very important to support organizations that are already in place that are doing good work. And I think it's really or to give um, unrestricted funding. You know, we're very attracted to saying, well, I want to, you know, give it to the kids. I want But organizations, it's so hard to come by operate what they call operating money, unrestricted money, um, which all goes into the programming, but you can't do the programming without the infrastructure. So um, I would want to encourage people to move away from restricted gifts saying, I want it specifically to go to this. And just, if you like an organization and you think they do good, good work, trust them to spend the money as they should. So I would say that. So that's a like kind of low hanging fruit 
if you if you see a gap, like that's one of the things we do at Charter Oak. Um, you know, if, there, if we see that there's that there's a gap, uh, for example, we're very much aware that there's not that much free programming for kids zero to three, which seems to be the crucial brain development time. So you know, we're working on on creating some programs for that age group that will be that will be free. Um, so looking for the gaps. And then seeing what you can do, either working with a, an organization that's already established, or maybe you start your own and you do some research and you figure out, okay, what's, you know, what can we do? Where, where's there a gap that we can fill? Um, I would say also think big and be bold. I would rather make a mistake by thinking too big, because people say, oh, you got a lot of ideas. I'd rather, I'd rather at the end of my life, somebody say she had a lot of ideas and she had, she had just a couple of ideas. <laughs> I'd rather fail at this than be, be successful at nothing, basically. So be bold, talk to people and surround yourself with people who are visionary and read about, you know, I'm like right now I'm on a Camus kick. Uh, he was so courageous, uh, Albert Camus. And 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 draw inspiration from from those people, and because uh, I think you know we're living in kind of scary times, and and uh, but if you can surround yourself with brave people, uh, rather if that are living or lived in history, and then from that place of boldness, decide where you want to what 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 you want to do, what movie you want to make, because we need everybody. We need everybody, and it and it and it and it could be something small, it could be something large, it could be just giving money, it could be giving money and time and forming your own nonprofit. Don't ever let anybody tell you that what you have to offer isn't important because it is. That's a whole lot of wonderful advice. Well, thank you so much, Donna. It was wonderful to have the chance to talk with you and to to hear so many stories about the work you're doing. Really appreciate the chance to have you on the show. Rachel, it was an honor. Thank you for the opportunity. If you appreciated that conversation, um, and especially if you're interested in the overlaps between how faith communities are doing Strongtown's work in their cities, um, I definitely encourage you to check out, we have sort of an ongoing series on this topic where we've shared interviews with other types of religious spaces that also host community programs and a whole lot of other interesting stuff. So head to strongtowns.org slash faith to read other articles in that series. I'm going to keep reminding you about our locomotive tour since it's now fully in swing. If you're listening this morning, you might still have time to catch today's event on the tour, which is led by me. I'll be talking about 10 Strong Towns questions to ask a candidate for local office. And I'll be joined by Mason Thompson, a fantastic local leader. He's the mayor of Bothell, Washington, and you heard him on a podcast a couple months back. And then next week's locomotive tour stop is called Infrastructure Avalanche, how to make the best use of state and federal funding. I know this is a topic that a lot of you are thinking about right now as infrastructure bill conversations happen. Um, So that one next week is going to be led by Charles Marone. And our special guest speaker is Beth Osborne, the Director of Transportation for America. And of course, you can get all the tour stops in a package, our round trip ticket, Uh, just $125, and you'll be able to access all 10 events. Strongtowns.org slash local motive is your spot to find all that information and get your ticket. Finally, there's just a couple more weeks to submit your strongest town 
nomination if you want your town to be nominated for our seventh annual Strongest Town Contest. Um, this is always super fun. It's a great way to honestly like get attention for your community, get like your tourism board involved, get your chamber of commerce involved, get your city council involved. Um, it's really just like a celebration of great communities around the country. Um, and also, of course, a contest and a way to see who is the strongest. So um, strongtowns.org slash strongest town is the place to find that application and more information about the contest. Finally, I want to apologize for the sound just in this intro and uh, outro of this podcast. My microphone had a little bit of an issue, so I'm waiting for another cord to come in the mail. Next week's episode should be back to our usual audio quality. Uh, and hopefully the interview was was solid too. That one, I didn't have the cord issue. All right. With that, thank you all for listening. I look forward to joining you for the next episode next week. Take care.